Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Just a little bit of info about our guest coming up in a moment. His name is Leon Hill and he has an interesting story to tell you. It's sort of a two-part story. One is about his creation of Social, which was one of the very first social media marketing agencies that became notorious because Leon used a marketing sort of publicity angle of selling likes and digs and tweet Twitter followers. So basically a service that you could pay to get more followers on those social media tools. And a lot of controversy spiked because of it, because they thought he was doing something illegal either stealing people's information or having some sort of software that was creating uh, followers and all these social media tools. It turns out he was doing something that's not illegal and actually is kind of like the precursor to what social media marketing is today. So you can have a listen listen to that to hear what he does and what he did back then. But today what he actually runs is Rock Publicity, which is a social media and publicity service for entertainers and musicians. This is a great interview because you're going to hear a lot about what he does to to do social media, how he gets so many followers and so many YouTube views and you know Facebook likes and all those social media things and how all that t- taps back into actually a return on investment for the people he does it for. So if you really want to hear a fantastic social media expert who has been doing it for years and actually getting real results for big companies, he's also consulted and done this for Audi and ING and a bunch of other really large companies. So so he really is the real deal. Uh, it's a great story. So I know you're going to love it. That's going to start in a moment. I also want to invite you to join my EJ Insider program. So that's the next le- step up from this interview you're hearing. What the EJ Insider is, it's an interviews club. So you're going to get all my previous interviews. Plus, you're going to get a brand new stream of interviews that you won't get anywhere else. They're only available inside the EJ Insider program. Now, it's specifically interviews for people who are, of course, looking for motivation and great stories from other online entrepreneurs like Leon, you're about to hear from. But really, it's for people who are interested in hearing from multi-million dollar bloggers, people who have made millions with email marketing, and people who sell information products. That's the focus of the EJ Insider interviews, million dollar bloggers, information marketers, and email marketers. So people have done a lot in that sort of space. So if you're also a blogger or an information marketer, The EJ Insider Club is the perfect set of interviews for you. Plus, you get all my other interviews inside there. So if you're interested, go to www.ejinsider and check out all the available interviews inside the club. Okay, here comes the interview with Leon. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Yaro Stark and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey interview podcast. Today on the line, I have a a Brisbane friend named uh, Leon Hill who has... Had well, I'm learning about his history as a, a chat we had just briefly before we started this call. Now I know him as the man behind RockPublicity.com, which is a publicity service uh, for entertainers and uh, musicians. Basically, he provides social media and uh, publicity services for people like the Veronicas and and Bamajira and some other people you might know. But as I've just heard, he has an original claim to fame. Uh, back about six years ago, starting a company called You Social, which was, uh, well, this is how you put it, Leon, was you sold Facebook likes and I'm assuming Twitter tweets and dig, dig digs. And basically you were providing a paid social media service, which then got you cease and desist notices from all those big social media companies and quite a bit of notoriety. So have I kind of summed it up well <laughs> there? Perfectly, perfectly. Okay, great. <laughs> So thank you for joining me today. No, thank you. 
now I'd love to go through all of this with you. Uh, let's go back in time. Now, before I do that, maybe I should just clarify right now. Right now, you you are just doing rock publicity, and that's your business. You you know you're the it's your own business, right? You're not employed by anyone to do that. No, that's correct. It's my own company. Okay. Well, we need to get to the point where you started that, and we can learn about that. And I, but I want to go back in time and hear all about this wonderful getting cease and desist notices and all that sort of stuff because <laughs> it sounds very interesting. So, yeah. can you take us back even before that though? Were you uh, like did you go to university and in, in Brisbane, or were you even born in Brisbane? Uh, no, I was born in Sydney, actually, um, okay. and uh, I, I, uh, my only aspiration as a child, I guess, I, I always wanted to join the military. That was the only thing I ever really wanted to do as a kid, and, and uh, I did that as soon as I was 17. Um, I joined the Australian Army where I worked as an aircraft technician or a Black Hawk mechanic for two years um, until, unfortunately, I was medically discharged due to a, a fairly severe back injury. Um, I was pretty down and out about it at the time because I guess my, my future plans of the career that I wanted to pursue were, were sort of became null and void. But um, I guess I'm in a, in a better place right now, mm. you could say. What did you do? How did you hurt your back? Uh, stupidly, I, I did it when I was younger. Um, I, I grew up on a, a property about an hour south of Byron Bay, and um, yeah, I injured it when I was when I was younger. I can't remember actually, you know, the the full details of what happened, but it was fairly weak when I was young. And um, you know, despite the fact that I passed all my medical tests and all that kind of stuff when I joined the army originally, um, I, I think military life just ended up taking its toll. And um, although I could, I could more than happily do my job as an aircraft technician when you're in the army you're a soldier first and and after a while about a year and a half i couldn't pass my basic fitness requirements anymore due to my back so um they gave me six months of physio and and said you know if you can if you can get back up to standard we're, we're happy to keep you on but um about four months into physio i um i i I kind of asked my physiotherapist i said do you see me in the next two months getting up to speed and she said honestly you know your back's not really at the stage where it can um, it can be mended at this point. Um, so I just made the decision that to to call it quits then. And, and yeah, I was honourably discharged. But um, yeah, it's my back still not up to standard. So I, right. I'd rather I'd rather have that in my life, uh, to be honest. But um, hey, everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. Okay. So what? You're you're 19 then when you're discharged? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. 19 when I was discharged, and then I, I went and. Uh, uh, Carried out a very glamorous career in retail. I worked for Optus and Vodafone and um, a few other telco companies for a few years, um, really wasting time, um, trading my own time for, for paychecks, which is something that I never really wanted to do. But I, I, I knew from – it was probably while I was working in retail that, that I, I made the decision that this is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and to pursue something, something on my own, which is uh, funnily enough um, – internet marketing uh, came up and, and I, I started learning a bit about that and it's kind of funny that I'm being interviewed by you because you were one of the first blogs I remember reading years and years and years ago. So it's kind of funny we're at this point now that I'm being interviewed by you for your <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that is cool. So, okay, I started this blog in, in sort of late 2004, 2005. So you might, there's a few years there. Was it just all full of retail kind of jobs pretty much or yeah very very glamorous retail jobs I, I think i worked for optus for about a year and a half or two years and then vodafone for maybe another two years so it was that was probably that period of of my life which is a gray area i can say <laughs> yeah, i'm sure it was full of all kinds of youthful experiences too so let's move forward then did if you discovered internet marketing did you kind of do that on the side while you kept the retail jobs and where did you enter internet marketing first yeah, I, I did. I kind of did it at the start. It wasn't more of a, you know, I was doing it per se. It was more that I was learning about it. And, and I figured all that my, my main goal at the time was 
that I wanted to, to be able to do something that I could do for myself and that I could do from anywhere in the world as long as I had, I guess, a laptop and an internet connection. So when, uh, you know, I started learning about internet marketing, that was obviously, a, you know, something that was very attractive because, you know, as you know, uh, as long as you've got a laptop and an internet connection, you can kind of do it from anywhere in the world. So it was more that, that point in my life, it was more learning about it. Um, I ended up meeting uh, at that point uh, a, a Swedish guy who'd, who'd lived in America for, for almost a decade, who'd um, gone through a, a few businesses in his own life. Um, one being, uh, he actually used to run tours of Alcatraz and then um, he did a lot of uh, film work online. Um, and he was, he was uh, extremely successful. I think he was, he was worth at the time about probably $5 million a year he was bringing in. And I was, it was just one of those things that I, you know, getting into internet marketing at the time and then I, I met him and the universe kind of aligned me with someone that, that was helping me out in that area. Um, so I, I met him and he taught me a lot about, um, you know, making money, making money online and, um, and I guess that was where my first, first part of training, I, you know, in, in learning how to make money on the internet, like seriously training started and I ended up living with him and his wife uh, for about six months in Sydney and uh, they basically taught me everything that they knew in exchange for me working with them free of charge, um, which was at the time a fantastic opportunity and I couldn't have uh, got a better opportunity at that point in my life. What were you doing for them? Uh, basically, I was doing helping them manage uh, one of their companies, which dealt in a lot of um, a lot of affiliate marketing and promotion for um, uh, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of websites that provided uh, video content, everything from uh, live. Uh, movie streaming and things like that to, to websites similar to YouTube but that provided also premium content um, and that was where they made the bulk of their money. Um, probably in terms of what they did in, in the, the, uh, the film industry or I guess um, paid video streaming and, and uh, paid web uh, video content at the time, they were, they were probably the biggest people in the world that were doing it um, but you know, as you know with internet marketing, some people that do it are you know, are doing it and are achieving no notoriety whatsoever or any fame. Um, so they they kind of were slipping under the radar, but they basically, in, in a very short time, taught me everything I, I really needed to know about marketing anything on the internet. So you, are you talking about everything like blogging, video marketing, social media, email marketing, b banner advertising, like all the different facets of internet marketing? Yeah, everything apart from social media. This was at a time where where sort of social media wasn't even that big of a thing. I know it's funny to say this was only in 2006, mm. but back then social media was really just starting to to get on, uh, I guess starting to get a bit of a snowball effect and people were starting to see how effective it could be. But back then it was more, you know, banner advertising, email marketing and all that that, that kind of stuff, all the traditional kind of um, original email, uh, internet marketing stuff that you right. could say. And what exactly though were they selling that you were working on? They were basically selling premium subscriptions or uh, marketing premium subscriptions to video sites. Right. Um, so anything, I, I don't know why they, they chose video. I guess it was something that worked out for them um, at the start. But uh, anything from uh, paid content sites that provided um, training or information of how to do just about anything all the way up to adult sites. So they did basically anything that had anything to do, anything that was related to uh, subscriptions to video sites, they did. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, I can imagine that that would have been an underground business in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, why. I guess the, the adult, uh, because they dealt with a lot of adult content or well, not a lot, it was, 
maybe a third of their business. Um, you know, there was a little bit of an underground side of it, you know, uh, even though there's a lot of people out there that market adult content, content because it can be extremely profitable. They don't really like to tell anyone about it. Yes, it's, it's the industry you don't want to tell your parents about. So Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah, that- so what happened next with what you did? Did that, like, you, you weren't earning a living from them because that was, you were doing work in exchange for training or were you actually paid by as like an employee? No, no, I wasn't paid anything at all. Um, when I met him, um, I, I basically said to him, I, I knew that this was going to be something that was an opportunity that could change my life. And I basically said to them, I said, look, if you're happy to teach me everything that you know, I'm, I will have happily work for you for nothing and uh and they said okay sure and there's there's no better way for you to to learn than if you wanted to come and live with us would right. you like to you know move to sydney with us and um live with us and then you can sort of learn firsthand that way and i said sure so um yeah it was about six months of living with them in uh, Cherrybrook in sydney and and um yeah working very very closely with them every single day almost so that was um an experience that i I, I couldn't have ever imagined that I, I would have had, but I, I think the universe just lined up something that I was looking for at that time and, and um, gave it to me on a plate. So I was very, very uh, thankful to have that opportunity. And you, did you, since you live with them, you didn't need to keep a job. It was just wake up, go to work, talk to them, yep. and that was your life for six months. Basically, yeah. So this ultimate boot camp in internet marketing. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so after six months, were you sort of thinking time to start my own thing or what was next? Well, it was only probably after a couple of months when I started learning from them. And, and I mean, they they um, the rate that I was learning was just phenomenal. Um, some days I'd, I'd go to bed at the end of the day and just, you know, my brain was just so filled with, um, uh, you know, so filled with information I didn't necessarily know how to process it all. Um, and uh, they really worked me hard. Um, they, they were of the view that if I'm going to, go down and live with them and, and work with them firsthand that they were going to basically fill my mind with as much information as they can. So um, it was it was a very fast learning experience. But after a few months, I started thinking of ways to, um, I remember actually one of the things that they said to me, you know, we'll give you all the information that you need. But when it comes to you doing something on your own, that's that's up to you to, to make the decision. But um, it was after a couple of months and I was starting to think, so how can I apply this to, to something that I want to do? And um, this was when social media started becoming a fairly big thing. And um, I, uh, I, I guess I was the traditional uh, part of internet marketing was interesting and it worked to me, but I, I really early on started to see that social media was going to become a massive thing. And I thought, if I can really figure out a way to, to I guess, get this social media thing happening and um, figure out a way to, to get a handle on it more than anyone else ever had, then I, could, uh, I knew that I was going to do something special with it. So um, I just, uh, a few months of testing with a few affiliate products and, and things like that, uh, I really realized that to achieve a, a, any kind of success in social media, you needed to have a following, um, whether that was on Twitter or Facebook or on Dig or whatever. Um, you needed to have uh, people that were really interested uh, and targeted in what you were doing and you needed to, in order to make a really decent living, you needed to have a fairly large following. So I thought if there was an easy way to get targeted fans on Facebook or followers on Twitter or, or a way to get to the front page of Dig uh, easily, then you could really make as much money as you wanted. And uh, after a few months of testing, I um, I figured out how to uh, basically guarantee a front page on Dig. And, uh, and then from there, I, I, I basically figured out how to... Uh, almost guarantee in, in almost any industry using partners as well as um, just good advertising on Facebook how to really quickly and effectively get targeted fans to Facebook pages or, or, or Twitter. 
And then it kind of dawned on me that instead of doing this for myself, there are companies out there that would pay big money for this. So it kind of uh, went from me wanting to use social media as a platform to promote my own business to thinking, well, no one else is actually selling this service to get you know increased followers on Twitter or fans on Facebook. Why don't I sell that to companies? So I, I did. And um, the I, I got to stop you though, Leon, and everyone's probably listening just thinking, how on earth did you figure out a way to get lots of you know digs and Facebook likes and Twitter tweets and so on? What was your what was your secret to think? Are you allowed to tell us? Yeah, yeah, of course. There was no real secret behind it. Um, and I, I guess when all the pe- the press was going out about this, they they thought there was some you know some secret or something uh, you know devious going on behind the scenes, or there was software being used or, or something along those lines. But really, all it was, it was just a matter of really getting a handle on on uh, getting networks of partners together. So, for example, on Facebook, we approach businesses that already had a decent following in let's say um, the automotive industry and we'd approach companies and say well you know you're you've uh, got a decent following um, selling auto products or or whatever would you be interested in being paid to promote another band's brand's products in a similar industry or promoting another page and initially the hardest problem the hardest thing was it was getting businesses to agree with that but once they uh, realized how much money that they could earn you know and especially um, some businesses that weren't necessarily getting a handle on the whole Facebook marketing thing for them to say you know if we post one uh, post on our Facebook page that has let's say 10,000 fans um, just promoting another product in a similar product in, in another industry or not necessarily a similar product but a product in that same industry um it, it started off. Uh, it started off very slow, but eventually we we had a lot of businesses saying yes. So really, all we were doing was paying other companies in similar industries or similar pages money to promote another page, mm. and that was it. Um, so it was sponsored posts, basically sponsored. Right? Sponsors po- sponsored posts before Facebook's own sponsored posts actually existed. So that's what we were doing, which is I think why Facebook kind of got annoyed mm. at me at the start. Um, Did that work with Dig? Because I know Dig was the biggest site at the time for social media traffic back in like 07, 08, right? It, it was. It was. With Dig, it was slightly different. Um, uh, all we used to do with Dig was uh, I found who were Dig's power users and basically we got them to promote content and that's how we guaranteed front page content on Dig. So we were basically paying uh, Dig's, you know, some of Dig's uh, most well-known power users to promote other people's content and pretty much every single time it was a guaranteed front page and if not, we refunded, we either refunded the uh, the client or um, we just ran another campaign for them. Amazing. So I'm guessing the, the trick with that business was A, to get the people to agree to do the sponsored whatever and making sure that there was a margin for you in it as well. Because like, how did you come up with the numbers for that? Did you, like, let's say me, you went to me and I've got 25,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, what would you say, like, if you had a client that was relevant to me? It would depend on the industry. It would depend on how much demand there was for it in the industry. And to be honest, at the start, that was the hardest thing. Um, I actually made the first couple of weeks I lost more money than I can count. But once I, I kind of figured that, figured that out, it's um, uh, figured out the profit margins and how to work it in, in each industry. And of course, we couldn't do it in every industry. You know, we, we turned back clients if, if we just didn't have a demand for that industry or whatever. But um, it, it would all depend on the industry. But eventually, um, at the start, we were just off, offering certain packages and every package was the same price. And that's when I started losing money because I, I, I thought, you know, I can, I can charge the same price in every single industry. And some industries I was making a profit, but others, uh, in the first couple of weeks, I made massive losses. Um, 
So that was the biggest trial and error, mm. um, trying to figure out which industries worked and which didn't. Now you keep saying we. Was there more people than just Leon Hill doing this? No. At the well, at the start, it was the first um, the first month. It was just me. Um, but then after a while, I um, I set up an office in the Philippines uh, and one in Singapore, um, just for back end stuff to help doing you know customer order fulfillment, all that kind of stuff. And then I had my main customer service team. I had an office just outside of Washington D.C. in America with four staff, um, and that all happened within I'd say three months. Um, within three Incredible. months, I think, I think it went from me to having uh, maybe 15 staff in three countries around the world. Okay, that's, that's crazy growth and yeah. speed of growth. How did that happen? Because I'm assuming you put up a website saying we can you know, give you X number of tweets, likes, or digs for these, this price. Did that just sort of naturally get you a lot of press coverage and a lot of sort of word of mouth growth? Or what, was there some sort of marketing uh, uh-huh. tactic you used? I think the two things that I would I would credit to how quickly things grow uh, grew. Uh, firstly, um, setting goals. Um, I've always been a big, um, uh, you know, a, a, a very big person in setting goals, and um, I set myself. I wouldn't say massive goals at the start, but once I started achieving a certain amount of success, I set myself bigger and bigger goals, and I basically wouldn't let anything go ahead unless I achieved those goals. So my first goal when I started this company was I thought, well, how much money would I like to make to have the lifestyle that I wanted? And I guess at the time, the lifestyle that I wanted was to be earning $300. To I, I, The lifestyle that I wanted was to be be able to work from anywhere in the world with an internet connection. I thought, well, if I'm making 10 grand a month, 300 bucks a day, then that'll give me that. And I hit that within a month and I thought, well, you know, you need to set yourself a bigger goal. So I said, all right, $1,000 a day. So, and then I hit that within two months. Um, so I set myself fairly big goals and I, I basically went after them. But the other, I guess, secret to my success was getting massive publicity. So I knew to, to really um, expand the business the way that I wanted to. Internet marketing would be one side of it, but I knew that if I could get massive publicity on a global scale, then it would grow faster than anything that I could ever hope. And I thought, well, how can I, how can I get media coverage? How can I get press around a company that's effectively a business-to-business service that you know, increases the fans you know, on a Facebook page or something like that? And I thought, well, it's not a very good story if, if the media wants to write about something. You know, here's a company in Australia that is you know, increasing businesses' fan, fans' Facebook pages. That's boring. So I thought... Keep it simple, but keep it hard-hitting. So the first press release that I sent out about the Twitter services was simply put, uh, company is selling Twitter followers. And I didn't say anything much more than that. Um, (laughs) So the media at first, a lot of media outlets were like, you know, is he buying customers' data and reselling it to companies? Is he, uh, you know, what is he kind of doing? And initially, uh, most of the media assumed that I was somehow harvesting user data off Twitter or Facebook and selling it to companies, which, one, is very illegal, um, and two, is I, I have absolutely no software experience. So even if I wanted to do that, there's no way in hell I'd be able to, um, which is actually what led to me getting cease and desist notices from Facebook, Twitter, and Dig, because they thought it's it's they thought I was using some kind of software to do this, which is against their terms of service and in the state of California where most of these companies were located is illegal. So I, I wasn't surprised that I got cease and desist notices once the press started getting out, but um, once they once they were convinced that I wasn't using any kind of software, in all three instances, it was basically, we're not necessarily happy, happy what you're doing, making money off our site, but there's nothing we can do to stop you. Um, 
but getting again after the initial press that I got, um, which again was marketed as you know. 23-year-old nobody from Brisbane, Australia is selling, you know, followers or fans on some of the biggest social networking sites in the world. It was great press to start with, but once they started sending me legal notices, you know, straight away I'd send those out to the press again and it was, you know, (laughs) insane publicity that I could have never hoped for. So that's why things, I guess, grew so quickly and led me to, in under the first year, making my first million in revenue. Yeah, fantastic controversy. Uh, You've got balls though, man, to, (laughs) to get out there with that press. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm curious. Did you have a good look at their legal terms of service to make sure that you weren't breaking any laws within it? Uh, I admittedly, I didn't at the start. I was very naive, and um, I had, you know, this was this was my first business. This was my first uh, foray into doing anything on my own. So um, uh, the whole business world was new to me. And when they when they sent these legal notices out to me, luckily I was making, I was already starting to make some good money, so I could afford a good lawyer. And um, basically, they told me, you know, uh, the first question from the lawyer was, you know, are you actually doing any of these things that you're making? You know, are you using any kind of software? And I said, basically, no. So, but, you know, that was a very quick, a very quick learning curve into um, into the terms of these sites that I had no idea about it. So, uh, honestly, at the start, I was stupid because I didn't look into these things. But luckily for me, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm. I guess it's it's funny because today people still do sponsored content. Like I get approached to write blog posts, which people will pay me money for, and there is nothing wrong with that in terms of uh, you know, legal legalities. I'm just it's paid for content. It, it, obviously, there's considerations with does it damage my brand, and in particular nowadays, does it damage my Google rankings? Because Google doesn't want paid content, especially passing on link juice. So they don't want to artificially inflate in, uh, rankings. So it sounds like a similar situation. Like they have sponsored tweets today still. There's companies that offer that where, you know, a celebrity might p- get paid $3,000 to say, I just bought these shoes or something like that. And after they get given a review copy or something like that. And, and that's totally fine. So it sounds like you were doing that, but you weren't really like, cause I didn't know how you did this. I actually remember hearing some press around. So I don't know if it was you, but there was someone doing this. I think it was you cause it was Brisbane. And, yep. um, I remember thinking, how does he do it? And okay, if if it, it, I was thinking, true, it's software. I was thinking you must be harvesting names and and uh, just or or fake accounts. That's how you would add all these uh, followers in Facebook or Twitter or something like that. But it sounds like you just had a team, and correct me if I'm wrong, going out there and knocking on doors of other power users within these systems and saying, would you write about us? Would you write about our client? Yeah, that was that was basically it in a nutshell. Um, I mean, the controversy that uh, I couldn't have honestly asked for anything better than the controversy that surrounded it because it, the, the publicity that went on was was incredible. Um, but uh, if I'm honest, the controversy helped build my company to what it was. Mm. It, it, it helped me make more than a million dollars a year. And uh, despite the fact that a lot of the press going out there um, or a lot of what people's assumptions were that we were doing something like this um, were untrue, I've got to admit that I, I'm, I'm happy it happened because it, mm. it helped spread my name around the internet. But the funny thing is, is that it got so out of hand at, at one point after a few articles were written um, that I wasn't interviewed about where people were just, you know, assuming that I was, I was using software or, or harvesting people's information or something. I was actually getting death threats via email and things like that and, and people in Jeez. America emailing me saying, you know, if you ever sell my personal information to another company, I will sue you and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, in the end, it was, it was, yeah, it's just kind of strange. Looking back on it now, it was, um, yeah, it was a very interesting time and I learned a lot. 
Incredible. And, and I can now see how natural the flow on from that company to a publicity company is because you were effectively doing social media publicity. You were like, this is what a publicity agent does. They go and try and get you sponsor well, content into newspapers, magazines, and, and TV, radio, and online nowadays. And sometimes they'll pay money to push press content out there to reach certain people and hope it gets resyndicated, which is what you were doing. It's just the controversy you wrapped around it was a great marketing tool, which since you knew you weren't breaking any laws, you were happy to let it go as long as those death threats didn't really turn into <laughs> anything <laughs> physical. Well, well, luckily for me, they never, they never did. But um, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, I, I did get some pretty interesting emails, mm. I've got to admit. I, I still have to say you do have balls, man, because you would have had to have constantly <laughs> sort of take those allegations and you know, confident knowing that you're not doing anything wrong, but still your brand out there in the world is as this scammer, a social media scammer was being, you know, pushed out there. So yeah. uh, that, that's, you know, that, that could be a hard thing to recover from. So can you maybe take us forward? Uh, not that it was damaging your business, you're getting more business from it, but in terms of a personal brand, like uh, what happened next with the company? Uh, basically, the, the company just honestly kept going onwards and upwards, and um, I, you know, I kept making a lot of money. But for me, I think what really made me realise it was something that I wasn't going to continue doing was basically it just started draining me. Um, you know, my initial goal was to I, I wanted to be making money uh, for myself that was, you know, that I could do from a laptop from anywhere in the world um, and kind of have freedom. And I didn't have that because I was you know, very early on running 12 to 15 staff, which within a year grew to about 25. Um, and it was, I went from doing the things that I loved, which was getting publicity and doing that side of marketing to just managing a company, uh, doing all the boring administration stuff and, you know, all, all that kind of gear. So I, I kind of had my hands out of what I was doing. It was just running a company and I got really bored of it. Um, not just bored. I, I just I was starting. You know, I was working sixteen hours a day and um, and just really, really wearing myself out. So uh, after you, well, actually, due to you know the success that I was getting from you social, I, I started getting offers from fairly large companies. Um, some turning over you know multiple billions of dollars a year to do consulting with them. I think my first ever big consulting job was with the Korean. Um, uh, the Korean Department of Tourism, I can't remember their exact name now, um, and it was a, basically a massive sum of money to fly business class to Korea um, and uh, and work with them firsthand um, and doing, you know, just uh, managing all of their social media. Um, I, ne I didn't end up actually going over there. I ended up doing it from home um, just because it was easier and I had a company to run at that time. But um, uh, very soon I started taking uh, a few big offers like that on board and I sold you social. Because I was making more than more more money in a month sometimes than the average person earns in a year just to fly to certain places around the world and sit in a boardroom with marketing executives and teach them how they should be running their social media mm -hmm. campaigns, um, which was which was amazing. Um, it was a great experience. I was still fairly young. I think I was only probably uh, 25 at that that point, uh, 25, 26, um, and I was you know working with companies uh, like ING and Audi and and companies like that. Um, working with suits in a boardroom and, and teaching them how they should be running global marketing campaigns, which was which was insane, especially considering I'm a, a fairly 
heavily tattooed looking. I was about to say that. <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to see Leon, he's got tattoos and piercings and <laughs> you're more the rock star category than the, the corporate social media guy. So yeah. in fact, I think I just saw you Instagram recently. You, there's a tattoo on your face now as well. You, you've gone there? <laughs> I, I did. I, I only went there, there a couple of months ago. I, I figured now that I'm working in entertainment and music, um, which is something <laughs> that I'm, I'm hopefully going to continue. I did get a small tattoo just under my eye. So I'm, I'm definitely, definitely not the corporate advertising type, which, um, which was funny because considering a lot of the times I got these offers for big consulting work, they, they never saw me until I you know, arrived you know, in Singapore or, or a country like that. Um, and uh, it was kind of funny to see their reactions at first. You know, I'd be wearing, you know, my black skinny jeans and a pair of um, and a pair of Converse. I'd be wearing a, a you know a, a white shirt and a, a slim tie and a, a jacket over the top of that. But you know, I have neck tattoos, so that was kind of a bit of a shock to the <laughs> yeah. system. You have a big neck tattoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a small one. So. <laughs> so I think the the you know a couple of the times the first impression was you know who the hell have we hired here? You know, um, have we just gone and thrown fifty thousand dollars on some some guy who's going to sit and waste our money or whatever? But um, yeah. you know, it was uh, it was always kind of funny to see the first the the first um, first impressions. But um, mm. hopefully, I never let them down. Okay, uh, before we move on to the publicity, rock publicity business you currently do, I, I do want to know a couple of things with this. So you had all these employees with you social. Were they primarily just going out there and, and not doing the work you used to do, like knock on doors of, of big, big social media users who had lots of following and saying, we've got this campaign, would you like to participate in it? You'll get paid X dollars. Was that primarily the sort of roles that your employees did? Because these were employees yeah. too, right? Like full-time paid staff. Yeah, yeah. These were all full-time paid staff. Um, so yeah, that was that was basically the gist of it. Um, doing, you know, all the things that I used to do, fulfilling campaigns, um, you know, uh, talking to customers, basically everything that was involved with what I used to do on a small scale um, ended up having to be 25 people filling that role. And, and my, only, my only role from there on was basically managing that company, managing all my staff and make, mm. making sure everything was running smoothly. And they were all over the, the world too. It sounds like you, you went from that fun role where you're kind of in the trenches doing the social media to managing people, which frankly kind of sucks in a lot of ways. So. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it does. And it was totally far. It was, I mean, it was so far removed from what I wanted to do. You know, running a company like that was something that I never, ever aspired to do. And it was something I never wanted because, you know, I, I saw my, my uh, father, my biological father, he ran um, a very successful uh a painting company. He started out as a painter, just painting houses on his own, and ended up being one of the largest contractors in uh, Queensland, Australia, where we live, um, having 150 staff. And he went from painting houses to sitting in an office all day doing quotes and tenders and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess I went from uh, it was exactly the same thing that what he went from doing, just in a different industry. Mm. So the consulting work did that come? Because they just saw your press coverage and they thought this guy obviously knows a lot about social media. Let's get in touch and see if he consults. Was that how that happened? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was all word of mouth. Um, I, I started getting it was a, a kind of a shock at, at first. Um, you know, I was I with you social. It was mainly small to medium sized companies, and then I was having, you know, uh, had companies like uh, the United States Marine Corps recruiting. Um, Audi, ING, Singtel, you know, companies like this, massive global multi-billion dollar companies approaching me and saying, you know, do you think you could help us out? Um, so that was kind of a bit of a shock, especially considering I was, you know, just some kid that grew mm. up in, in the bush in New South Wales, basically, that had no experience with the internet or, or computing or anything like that. It was a bit of a shock for me. How did you even know what to do, like what to charge and, and how did you have the confidence to get into a boardroom and know that what you were going to say was actually valuable to them? 
I, I don't know. I think um, just my experience at the start, I, I had no experience in social media whatsoever, but I think learning just how, you know, after you social, just learning how it all worked, I guess, and it was a very fast learning curve. So I, I guess I did that with you social for maybe a year and a half, two years, and I learned very quickly everything about how, how proper promotion in social media as well as the publicity aspect of it worked. So when I was approached by companies like this, the, I think the first big job that I did was for the United States Marine Corps recruiting. And it was, uh, it was, um, I guess I winged it at the start, but um, the results that I achieved with them really made me realize that, you know, wow, I do know what I'm doing with a company on this level. And then I just kept applying it to other companies. Okay, well, let's, let's break that down, because I am curious, if you were providing results for Audi and ING and so many big companies, and they were paying you 50 grand to come and just say what you knew and tell them what to do. What did you tell them? What was working for them? And could you give us an example? Like, how did you help Audi? Uh, actually, I think the United States Marine Corps recruiting was probably one of the, the, the better examples that okay. I can give. It, cool. was, it was more of, a, more of a recruiting campaign, whereas they wanted, uh, they wanted to approach people of a certain age bracket, um, you know, American citizens, to, to I guess, uh, get introduced to being... Uh, having the, the the Marines as a potential career choice, so uh, very quickly I, I went in, and, and the first thing was is always you know analysing what they're currently doing. And most companies, especially at that stage, had absolutely no idea what they were doing. It was spending a crapload of money to get you know uh, to put crappy ads in Facebook's sidebar that really weren't working, um, and they were kind of missing the whole social aspect, which is getting people talking about something. They were basically doing the whole Google AdWords thing just on Facebook, putting ads in the sidebar and hoping that they were going to work and spending sometimes, you know, six figures on that a month and it was just not achieving results. So I guess I, I, I brought more of the social aspect into every single one of these campaigns, um, providing it, just uh, going over providing content that people were going to like, comment on, share, be interested in, talk about and things like that as opposed to just putting an ad in the sidebar and hoping that people were going to look at it, click on it and go, yeah, this is interesting. So that was for, for the USMC, that was, that was a really big eye-opener because it made me realize that companies were just going out there and going, oh, okay, this is the budget that we've got, let's spend it all on some ads in the sidebar. And sure, it worked to a certain extent, but as you know, it doesn't work anywhere near as good as providing content that is either controversial, interesting, um, you know, newsworthy that people are going to tell everyone else about, which is what social media is all about. Um, I think with that campaign alone, um, the, the rates of interaction that we were getting uh, from the ads as opposed to the social content that we were providing was something like 1,500% over and above um, what they were getting at the start and they were spending almost no money. They were just providing content. Um, so that was, that was a really big thing. Mm. So were they looking for, let's say, they have a Facebook fan page and you were telling them, okay, release this sort of content. It will go viral and you'll get all these people sharing it with their friends. They'll also start liking your fan page and that obviously brings more attention back to your campaign and what you're trying to do and, and awareness is that kind of what your main sort of impact was on these companies 
Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's for me. It's all about, and, and social media is. It, it's all about providing anything that is going to get people talking, and putting an ad in Facebook sidebar isn't going to get anyone talking. Um, people people ignore that kind of stuff. So it was more, regardless of what the content was, whether it was you know interesting photos of uh, Marines doing what they do, or video content that was going to uh, engage users and, and get them talking, or even get them thinking. Well, maybe you know a career in the Marines is something that I could pursue. It was. For me, it was all about providing the the maximum the maximum uh, amount of engagement through using something that people are really going to talk about. Okay, so uh, when you came and worked with them, did you just sort of tell them these ideas, or did you actually go back and do it for them as well? Uh, a bit of both. Most of what I did was was really ideas. It was you know I was getting paid to use my brain um, and use my imagination and and um, and come up with content that was going to work so from my point of view I've always been a very creative person so that was something that I really really enjoyed um but for the most part um initially it was just really providing providing content and providing ideas um and really you know expanding my mind with what was possible that they could do um but in the end it ended up being with a lot of companies that I would I would physically uh obviously you know with multi-billion dollar companies like this you know they have a team of staff and there's no way I could have done it on my own so um in some cases it was managing their teams and um and and really going through the entire process for you know a couple of weeks, uh, if not a couple of months, um, and managing their teams and going through everything. And by the time that I'd leave, their their teams were up to speed on everything that they should be doing. So you'd kind of show them like, here's a picture we put up of this soldier in a funny pose. It got liked a hundred times and put on ten other walls or something like that. You need to do this like three times a day, and then you need to put yeah. this video up. And is that? And then we're, we're you're gauging the metrics and seeing how people are coming back and what the like. <laughs> like growth on their pages is that kind of it like i know social media is such a uh, it's kind of like a dynamic world it, it's always like you have to be on the pulse of what's going on in the now you can't kind of keep doing the same thing over and over again right yeah but the thing the th yeah that's correct but i mean the thing is at that stage social media was still uh, it was still a very emerging thing so with a lot of companies it was really just getting them up to speed with the basics of what they should be doing it wasn't really anything um it wasn't anything going uh, over and above what was um i i guess what would be the standard of social media today at that stage and this is only a few years ago it was really just getting them up to speed with with the basics with with what i would consider um how companies should be running any social media campaign and like i said back then you know they were just throwing money at it the okay. the, the you know back then the um the philosophy was let's throw money at it um let's throw money on ads on facebook twitter whatever um and and hopefully it works they were yep. they were approaching facebook like google I can see how it's it's easy to come across and, and just make some slight changes and, and look like a superhero. And, and also because of your background with the, the use social credibility would have helped get you into the, the boardrooms in the first place. But let's keep moving forward, uh, Leon. I, you, you said you sold use social. So you were making enough money from the consultancy. You're thinking you, you don't like having to manage all the people in use social, your company. And then you decide to sell it. Was that what happened? Yeah, that's right. And how did you find a buyer? And, and can you sort of talk about even how much you sold it for? Uh, I can't talk about how much I sold it for. That's the only thing I, can't, I probably can't mention. Okay. Um, but I, I basically, um, luckily, got an offer. It was, it was kind of strange. It was another one of those universe lining up the things that you want when you want it kind of things. And um, I, I probably about, uh, I would say six months into you social launching, I'd got my first offer to buy the business. I think someone um, 
saw the potential for it and I was the only person in the world doing it at that time uh, and made me an offer which was you know far below what I, I would have taken for it anyway and then um, there are a few other instances where I got smaller and bigger offers but then when I decided that um, you know it's something that I really wanted to get out of I actually just got approached by a buyer and the uh, initially the money wasn't what I would have let go of you social for but um, then uh, they came back to me with another offer maybe three weeks later when I told them that I wasn't interested at the start and that was an offer that I was happy to take and I just took it. Did you buy a nice car after that? Uh, what did I do after that? I think, um, I think I did actually. I bought an Audi S3 which is what I had at, the, the, at that point and then, I, um, and then I lost my license for, for stupidly exceeding, ex- exceeding <laughs> the speed limit for hard, nine months. So hard um, not to with an S3 I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so you're... you're Back to being a consultant, uh, where did when did rock publicity come into this? Because that's a bit of a different angle from Audi to the Veronicas, or you know, I don't know if a lot of our listeners know the Veronicas. I know they they've got some coverage in the states, but um, maybe yeah. Can you tell us the transition to the, to the new publicity company? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I was like I said, I was doing a lot of consulting, but um, I think doing it in in the corporate world was was again. Um, it wasn't uh, something that I was very interested in uh, after a fairly short period of time. I think the main thing that was annoying me about it is that in some cases with campaigns, you know, um, obviously when you're working with a big multinational brand, you've really got to, any campaign that you do, you've really got to work it around, you know, what their branding is and their public image and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in a lot of cases, you know, I, I love using my imagination. And although I thought I was keeping it within their branding, um, you know, whenever any kind of campaign, uh, before it goes out with a company like that, it's got to go through the filter of, you know, a dozen marketing executives. And in most cases, they were coming back and saying, yeah, we'll do that, but we'll only do 20% of that. And uh, I think that kind of made me realize that the corporate world wasn't going to be where I was going to be able to fully apply my talents. So um, I, I decided to take a, a bit of time off and figure out what I wanted to do. And like I said, um, you know, lucky I was in the position to, to be able to take a fair bit of time off. And I think I needed a holiday because I'd been working constantly since I started U Social. Um, and uh, I took, I, I think it was about three or four months off. Um, uh, and, uh, and I just kind of, yeah, did a bit of traveling and, and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I, I kind of figured out that maybe going back to the corporate world wasn't something that I wanted to do um, and that maybe applying it to entertainment and music was something that was was an industry that I'd really be able to sort of go nuts with. And then um, very soon after, I got the offer to work with um, Bam Margera from Jackass and uh, on his Australian tour. And it how, was... How did that issue. happen? Uh, I actually uh, know a guy who used to, uh, who was a tour manager for his, uh, for Bam's brother Jess, his band CKY, um, and did their tour in Australia a couple of years ago. And then um, when he got the offer to do Bam's tour of Australia, he said, you know, would you be interested in doing the publicity for it? And I thought, well, you know, sure, I've never done anything like this, but um, I'm more than happy to do something new. And I, and it was. Again, I'll say it was probably the universe lining up something that I wanted to do, you know, in entertainment and music or whatever. It's it's just, I don't know, my life's just been a series of th- those events. Um, Which gods do you pray to, Leon? I, I'm uh, no gods. I'm actually a fairly staunch atheist. <laughs> okay. But, but um, I don't know. It's just every single time in my life that I've I've kind of wanted to pursue something it's just like it's just been lined up for me so i've just been lucky or you know some gods that i don't know about are looking over my shoulder um but um yeah and then i so i did the tour for three weeks with bam 
and uh, initially it was just going to be you know doing his tour tour publicity, and then at the end of the tour, I just I had a sit down with Bam. This was in Cairns, um, which is the last the last stop of the tour, and uh, I had a sit down with him at the end, and I said, you know, have you been happy with everything that I've done and all this kind of stuff? And he's he's like, yeah, man. He said, um, I've never had anyone organize anything like this on tour, and I've never had I've never worked with a better pub publicist than you. And I was very very flattered by that. You know, having someone that's worth you know millions and millions of dollars who's been seen you know all around the world by you know multiple millions of people and he's idolized by so many saying that to me I was you know I was uh very taken aback by it and then um and uh then I got the offer to continue doing all these digital publicity and, and um social media and press full time and I jumped at the opportunity and then um the Veronicas came after that and then Brisbane band June Rats came after that and um now I'm doing some consulting with um with some artists from EMI Music in Japan um, so it's all just followed on very quickly. Mm. Can you tell me? It, it's it sounds it's all an extension of what your core skill set you built with you social. I can see that. So it's getting to know how social media marketing works. You got to practice it on so many different companies. So you your head must be full of so many little case studies of techniques that work. When someone like Bam comes and says, like especially at the start when you really didn't work in that industry. And he has got a tour, and obviously you're going to try and get him more ticket sales. That's the point of the publicity in terms of an ROI, right? Yep, that's right. So what do you do for him? Like, how do you even think about okay, how can I get more ticket sales for this guy using social media? See, with someone like Bam, it's it's very easy. Um, you know, he's made a living out of being a jackass. You know, you can say um, so to really make your imagination run wild and come up with uh, stunts or, or stupid things or, or whatever or things that are going to get people talking and interested with someone like Bam is very, very easy. You know, there's almost nothing that – there's there are almost no limits with someone like Bam. You know, this is this is a guy that's – you know, Well, well can on, you tell us what you did? What, what did you what, – what, what drove ticket sales? Uh, everything. Uh, running uh, running competition campaigns on uh, – actually, the, the first thing that we came up with. So uh, Alex, the guy I was mentioning before who was the tour manager for CKY, he's actually Bam's drummer now on tour. So uh, Alex is – he's an Australian guy. He's uh, – I think he's 23 and um, I came up with the idea. So um, I, I'm not going to be able to say this without being G-rated and you, maybe you can uh, beep it out <laughs> if possible. But um, okay. When Bam goes, uh, when Bam goes on tour, his uh, his group or ha he calls himself Fuckface Unstoppable. So uh, again, which is great for shock value and gets people talking. So uh, I came up with the idea, and I said to Alex, I said, "Would you be interested in getting that tattooed on you?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." So the first thing that we did is that um, I got in, in touch with a friend of mine who's a tattooist, a guy named Wade Larkin in Brisbane, and uh, and uh, we filmed Alex getting. Like face unstoppable tattooed on his ass. Let's just call it F face unstoppable, so you yeah. don't get that iTunes explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, and so I I, uh, I went with Alex and I, I filmed him getting F face unstoppable tattooed on his butt cheeks, and we uploaded it to YouTube, and uh, that was that was great. I think it was you know thirty thousand some views very very quickly, and people got very interested in that, um, and it got shared around a lot, which is okay. you know the point of editing social media. So how did he had his existing following and that's where it went to first uh what was that sorry he so he like you said you got thirty thousand views uh, those views came from the existing following he had on social media like because you obviously have to start with the base you can't just upload a video and then people don't know where it is right well see the funny thing was with bam when i started with him bam's uh social media was 
to put it simply, horrible. Um, that was one of the things that surprised me for someone who's, uh, you know, had the backing of, you know, uh, MTV and, and things like that. No one had ever really told him, his management or whatever, how important this stuff was. Bam didn't – and for a guy who's made a living in video from, um, you know, from Jackass and from Viva La Bam and Bam's Unholy Union and all the series that he had, he didn't even have a YouTube channel. He didn't have anything. Wow. I, I set up I set up his YouTube channel in December last year. So he I started with nothing from that point. Um, I mean, he had his Facebook following, which was at about 1.5 million when I started. Uh, he had his YouTube uh, his Twitter followers, sorry, which was about 800,000. But he didn't have a YouTube channel, and that was the biggest shock that made me realize, wow, this is um, this is something that really needs to be uh, taken up to standard. Mm. Uh, so that was the very, very first video. If people go to Bam's uh, YouTube channel, which is I think youtube.com forward slash this is Bam Margera, um, that was the, the, the video of Alex getting that tattoo was the very first video that we uploaded. So um, and of course we did, we did things like, you know, promote it on Twitter and Facebook, right. but um, there were no subscribers whatsoever. Amazing. So, it, it, so yeah, it kind of, I guess it's helpful when you've got that base of a little bit of an audience, which I'm assuming most of your clients come to you nowadays if they're a Veronica's or um, another, well, maybe the local Brisbane band, I can't remember the name of it. They're, they're probably not that big yet. So they're starting, I guess the reason why I'm asking you these questions is there's people listening to this who don't have a base of followers yet. And yep. they're thinking, well, this is great, but you know, I can't produce a video and then send it to 1.5 million Facebook followers straight away because I don't have that. Uh, I don't either personally. So, you know, what in terms of like the actual social media strategies for, for growth, if you don't have a, a platform yet, what do you do? Like, have you had come across a situation recently? Uh, not, I mean, I wouldn't say recently, but I mean, the thing, the best way that I could explain it is uh, one of my uh, internet marketing heroes is a guy called Joe Vitale. And um, I've, I basically buy every single thing that, that he does. Um, he's not big in social media at all. His, his core set of skills is in publicity. And I, I've been reading his stuff since about probably 2004 when I really wanted to get into something like this. And he says, if you want to do anything right in marketing, if you want to get noticed, um, especially in the publicity, he said, make it practically outrageous. So what I always say to people to take from that is regardless of whatever you do, whether it's a, a publicity campaign or doing something in social media, don't be boring. Do something that is within your industry and within your branding and something that's true to who you are, but do something that's so far out of the ordinary that people are going to have to take notice. Um, in this day and age with so much competition and all this kind of stuff, if you're doing whatever ever anyone else is doing, then you're never going to get noticed. Um, doing something that's outrageous, that stands out, that's you know even stupid to a certain extent or that is totally newsworthy that people have to almost, almost have to talk about it or take notice, that's how you get noticed today. Um, as an example, uh, June Rats, which are the, the Brisbane band that I wouldn't even say are up and coming anymore, um, they're starting to really make it. Um, they uh, Recently, they did uh, two music videos for their song, Red Light, Green Light, and they did a red version and a green version. Um, the red version of the video was just uh, them uh, hanging around in Coney Island in America. The green version of them was uh, – and they're, they're – I guess you could say they're a stoner band. Um, they're being known as a band that that is uh, very interested in uh, smoking marijuana. Um, it's it's one of their their I think their fan base's big things. And they made a, a video of them sitting down, and for the entire two minutes of the video clip, they do nothing but smoke bongs all the way through the video clip. 
brilliant. I guess. So if, if, if people want to search for that, it's regardless of, you know, I, I'm not a drug user or anything like that, but it's, it, it's something that people will take notice of. And I mean, it costs them no money to produce. It's seriously a, a video in front of them while they smoked bongs for two minutes. And now I think with, I think within two months, it had received 200,000 views on YouTube. And bear in mind, these were guys that at that point had only had a couple of thousand uh, fans on Facebook. So I'm not saying that everyone's going to be able to make a video like that. <laughs> I'm you know? so going to do that right now. <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's always something that you can do that is that stays true to who you are, but that is so far out of the ordinary that people have to talk about it or take notice. Um, again, it, it's going to take a bit of imagination or, or you know coming up with ideas, but there's always something that people can do, and especially with social media the only way that you're really going to get noticed without a big fan base is doing something practically outrageous. Um, and if anyone wants, wants to learn more about that, I, I, um, I definitely think that they should go out and, and listen to some of Joe Vitale's stuff or buy some of his books because he's one of the greatest marketers I've ever, I've ever come across. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a very big, uh, he's always adamant about making things practically outrageous or just doing things that, that um, the media or, or following or, or whatever or people in social media almost have to, to share, talk about or take notice of. Just off the top of your head, Leon, given, you know, you know, my background as a blogger, I'm a bit more on the down to earth. I'm not going to be smoking bongs on a video. <laughs> but uh, what would you suggest for someone like me who wants to get 100,000 views on a YouTube video? What, 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 what would off the top of your creative head, <laughs> give me some rough publicity advice? What should I do? Uh, I mean, this, why, why wouldn't you do something like, uh, <laughs> fuck, God. <laughs> let's keep something within Yarrow Starak. Please, um, yeah. Let, let's, uh, you could, you could, you could uh, strip down to your speedos that have the word Yarrow written across across your your <laughs> bum and, 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 sw and swim across the Brisbane River while the media film it, you know, something like that. That would still be something entertaining that, that you know, that wouldn't be over and above... Um, you know who you are it, 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 <laughs> are you sure <laughs> I, I, I don't know maybe not um it, I, I don't know it, it takes a bit of time to come up with these kind of things um i think that's why i love working in entertainment these days because i can usually come up with fairly outrageous things like this that straight away most entertainers are willing to go yeah but um i know let me get back to you i'll send you something good okay thanks man <laughs> now uh, i do want to start wrapping up we're, we're almost at an hour here i i am actually quite a fan of veronica's um can you give me? I'd love to hear one little case study of something you've done for them that's that's worked well. Um, with them, I think the initial thing that worked very well at the start was just optimizing everything that um, that they did on social media. So uh, it was a, another big surprise for me that you know those girls having the backing of Warner Music, which is a multi-billion-dollar record label. How um, how little Warner really knew about. Uh, just even the basics of um, optimizing social media, just things like um, asking people to subscribe to YouTube videos and, and stuff like that. Um, I've only been working with the girls for a few months now, so I haven't really had a chance to start a really big publicity or social media campaign. But I think the thing with them that's worked the best so far was just general optimization of their of their social media. Um, for example, I think we, we tripled their YouTube subscriber rate within a week just by doing things like um, uh, making sure the descriptions were right and, and putting uh, putting um, annotations on the video asking people to subscribe so that was a big thing but um, I'm definitely going to have a chance to shine with them soon because they've got their third studio album coming up they've, they actually just got back to Australia a couple of weeks ago and um, yeah so we're, we're starting I've actually got a meeting with them tomorrow morning and we're starting um, to get ready some campaigns for their third studio album which is due to launch by the end of this year so that should be that should be fun okay so 
you run Rock Publicity, and it's rockpublicity.com. So if anyone is now, I guess I don't have a lot of musicians listening to this podcast, so <laughs> not likely to send you a lot of clients. Uh, I'm kind of I am curious though for people who are listening, like how much do you charge and and what do you do? Like I know you could go check out rockpublicity.com for details, but could you give us a summary of you know your services? Yeah, so um, uh, generally. Uh, the, the main thing that I do for big celebrity clients like the Veronicas and BAM is um, is basically general social media management and digital publicity. So with the social media management, that can, depending on the artist and the workload, that can run anywhere up to five or $10,000 a month. Um, obviously, that would depend on how big the artist is, how much work there is in it. Um, for someone like BAM, for example, you know, it, it's almost a full-time job just working for him. Um, but as you can understand, you know, someone that has his level of fame um, – uh, to charge him fees like that isn't isn't anything that's really going to worry him or be out of his pocket. Um, I also do consultations. Uh, I'm doing a consult uh, at the moment for the Singapore Management University. Um, so depending again on the campaign and how how in depth it is, but for for you know a company like that doing a 90 day campaign, um, it can run well over twenty thousand dollars. So um, in the end, it depends on what they want to get out of it, um, and. The workload, whether it's just general publicity or digital publicity or social media, um, but um, yeah, it's it's very varied. It's 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 all a matter of um, the, each individual client of what I what I charge and what I do with them. So it's it's kind of a, I guess, a hard question to answer very concisely. Mm, okay, sounds like there could be some people who are not necessarily magician magicians <laughs> musicians <laughs> who would uh, potentially come and contact you from at least for a consulting basis. So um, yeah, I guess if you got that kind of budget, uh, Leon is someone to talk to. I'm. Okay, saying that, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, rockpublicity.com. Uh, Leon, let's wrap it up. Any last words of advice, especially since you know the, the audience listening to this, they're, they're more like your bloggers and your information marketers who, who hear about social media as a platform, for example, list building. That would be the main kind of goal they would have is to, to spread their brand and also bring people back to their email list and, and subscriber base. Is there any kind of you know wrap up advice you want to give to to that audience on on how based on your experience, especially today, given it is more sort of complicated and, and certainly more competitive, what to do with their social media if that's their goal? Be interesting and stand out. Um, I, I'm I can't I can't say anything uh, more strongly than if you really want to get ahead in social media uh, or publicity at the moment uh, with so many people in any industry trying to get ahead, uh, you need to do whatever you can um, to get noticed and get your head above everyone else. Uh, Don't be boring. uh, Be interesting. Be outrageous. um, uh, Do anything that you can that uh, your competitors aren't doing to get noticed and get people talking. And uh, if you can do that, if you can manage to do that in any industry, you're going to succeed. Okay. Thank you, Leon. So we all got to learn how to be interesting people now. That was a challenge. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Any uh, URLs besides rock publicity you want to send people to or is is that the best one? No, definitely rock publicity and uh, everything of my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is all dot com slash rock publicity so I'm, I'm fairly easy to find okay great great brand so thank you leon and uh thank you for sharing the story that was it's quite a bit of a wild ride you're going on there and you haven't even hit 30 yet so uh <laughs> impressive stuff. yeah yeah I, I definitely haven't had a boring boring life since i left school i've got to admit yeah i look forward to seeing you know the next big client that you you sign up to as i i follow your instagram and uh <laughs> learn more about it um yeah. yeah and thank you for taking the time for, for telling the story with us i appreciate it Thank you, Yara. 
And for everyone listening in, you know where to go. It's entrepreneurs-journey.com or you can Google my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O, to get all the other podcasts like this great story with Leon. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. And I hope if you have listened to this on iTunes, you can give me a nice five-star rating. I'd appreciate that a lot. Thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Leon. I found it quite a fascinating story and uh, a really interesting industry that he's currently in. Before you end this podcast, I'd like to invite you one more time to join the EJ Insider Interviews Club. If you love that interview, you love my interview style, and you love that kind of guest, then there's a lot more available for you inside the EJ Insider program. Just go to www.ejinsider.com and forward slash interviews will take you directly to the information page about the interviews program. I invite you to take part. It's a great program. There's a lot of interviews in there. In fact, over 100 in the back catalog now that you can get access to. And it'll be very motivational as as well as very tactical as you can hear all the great advice that Leon gave in that interview is something you can apply to your business as well. So once more, it's the EJ Insiders Club, ejinsider.com forward slash interviews. I hope to see you on the inside. This is Yara Stark and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.